eventually we want to get to the point where every oyster that is served, we can trace that oyster's journey through our farms all the way back to what parents that oyster had. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. I'm Amin Ramashariki, Esri Urban Analytics Lead, and I'll be your host for today. You just heard Niall Taylor from Taylor Shellfish Farms, the largest producer of farm shellfish in the U.S., talk about a principal objective of his farm's digital transformation, genetics tracking. To maintain its international reputation for quality, the company uses location technology to produce and sell 60 million oysters annually. Here, Esri CMO Mariana Cantor explore how Taylor created a tie-to-table business model rooted in location intelligence. Nile, hi, and thanks for being here with us. I'm excited to be here. Your industry that you represent, the company Taylor Shellfish, is from the aquaculture industry. It's not probably very well known by many of our users and listeners. Would you mind telling us about this industry? Yeah, it's um, a lot of people think of it more similar to fishing, but in a lot of ways, it's also more similar to agriculture. We have hatcheries where we are breeding the shellfish and then putting seed on the beach. So none of it is really wild caught. So it's all farmed from the beginning to harvest. So that's what makes it unique as far as in the ocean. Most people think of it as fishing where it's really not. So I understand that it may take years before a product is actually mature enough to consume. Could you tell us why that is? Yeah, so it depending on the product, each of our different species has a different life cycle. The fastest products to market are some of our Pacific oysters. 10 to 12 months would be the fastest for our smallest sizes. The gooey duck has more like five or six years to get to market size and can live for more than 100 years in the wild. But we target somewhere around a pound and a half, and that's about a five or six year old animal. I know there are increasing concerns about sustainability of sea life. How does Taylor Shellfish Farms approach issues around sustainability? That's a great question. So we are the only U.S. company to be certified by the Aquaculture Stewardship Council. It's a international standard that looks at best practices in the industry, both environmentally, socially, make sure we're meeting all regulatory requirements. Our license to operate in a lot of senses relies on us doing the right thing and having these certifications kind of shows that we're trying to do the right thing in all aspects of our business. Now, when you say do the right thing from perspective of sustainability, what do you mean by that? That means operating in our environment in a way that doesn't have impacts on the natural environment around us. We want to make sure that our farming doesn't impact the other critical species of the Puget Sound, such as the salmon species and uh, the forage fish that we work around. Sustainability isn't just about the environment, but it's also about the people that work for us. So paying living wages is important for us, providing benefits and time off and making sure that the workplace is safe and healthy for our employees. So it's, you know, operating in our environment in a responsible way, it's operating with our employees in a responsible way and operating in our communities in a responsible way. Would you say that Taylor Shellfish is undergoing its own digital transformation? Certainly. Um, in all aspects of our business, we've kind of reached a size where having the information in 
everybody's heads is not the best way of doing things. You know, you have all these different silos of information and digital transformation allows you to bring those silos together and take knowledge that is in one spot and then put it into a shareable system that can be passed from generation to generation. Let's talk about operations, because I understand you supervise operations. Probably starts with collecting data, managing that data, distributing that data. Could you talk about all that and how the operations of the actual business benefit from the technology? Yeah, so again, one of the best parts is these technologies make it so you can have all of your information in one spot. We have more than 10,000 acres of farming land and more than 30 different farmers working for our company. So having one spot where all of that information is centralized is much more efficient and allows the directors of our farms and the executive team to make better decisions with more information in front of them at all times. So we have our farmers are collecting a lot of the information on a daily or weekly or quarterly basis, depending on which information it is. And then they can see that information in a in a system as well as our directors, which are supervising our farm managers, as well as the executive team, just kind of a cascading effect of information. What's important for who can be provided much more efficiently. Your family's business is several generations old, so I'm wondering how that cultural transformation took place. One thing that makes our company different than a lot of shellfish companies is that we're very open to change. We take risks. We want to innovate. My grandfather's generation, we were solely a farming company, so he would farm the shellfish and then sell it to a processor, something that my dad's generation took on was actually starting to process. And he kind of, my, my grandfather that is said, well, that's not something I'm interested in, but if you want to make it happen and make it successful, you do it. And they did. And that has really kind of sprung our business to a whole nother level. That's kind of the same way with technology now. It's not something that they are experts in, but my, my father's generation sees the value in it and says, if you want to you know, bleed the way and make it happen, go for it. That's kind of where we're at right now. So your generation is leading the way in the digital age. Uh, correct. The transformation. Yes. Right now, you know, we're less than a year into this process. So there's still a lot that we can do using this technology. Eventually, we want to get to the point where every oyster that is served, we can trace that oyster's journey through our farms all the way back to what parents that oyster had. In the past year, we've launched a genetics program for our oysters. And in order to quantify the value of that program, you have to be able to track the oyster all along that process. You know, we, we grow enough oysters that if, if you can get two or 3% better survival, there's value in that. It makes the whole program worthwhile. So being able to show that value through survival and maybe speed to market, how fast a product matures. So that's one thing we're trying to do is get to the point where we have traceability through our entire farms. How does the genetics play into it? So you can, there's basically different families of oysters and maybe one family grows fast, but it has lower survival. And then you have another family that grows a little bit slower, but has high survival. And if you breed the two of them together, you might get a more optimal oyster that both grows fast and has high survival. So we're we're looking at several different, I guess, 
qualities in oysters to improve. Do you have tasters to determine which oysters taste better than others? We don't have an official taster, but one benefit of our oyster bars is that we have shuckers that are opening hundreds of oysters every day. So they get to see so many and they can tell us which ones are looking good and which ones aren't looking as good. And being able to quantify that will be something really beneficial. So I want to go back to this digital transformation technology. What kind of outcomes are you already seeing? We're seeing our farmers able to collect information more efficiently. You know, we have a lot of farmers that have worked the same piece of ground for 30 plus years and they are farmers first. They're not technology people. Other times we've tried to implement some technologies. They haven't been successful because they're not easy to use. So we found that a lot of these apps that we're using in the field are so straightforward that they actually see the benefit in it and have adopted it. So on the user side, it's so straightforward that they can quickly do it, save themselves time. They don't have to come back to the office when they're all wet and muddy from the tide. Um, it's already done, so they can just go straight home. That's great. Niall, I know that you're passionate about environmental science uh, and the environment in general. C could you talk about how that plays into the business and the use of technology? Yeah, so there's so much that we've been able to learn with as new technologies have come out. One thing that in recent years, probably in the past 10 years that we've become more familiar with is ocean acidification. Probably in the early 2010s, we had massive mortalities and we couldn't explain it. Eventually, we started looking at acidity in the water, the pH level, and we noticed that it was low compared to how high it should be. And that eventually led us to realizing that, you know, this, there's this other side to climate change and that's ocean acidification. Now in our, our hatcheries, we're actively uh, looking at the pH at all times and buffering the waters so our shellfish can survive through the hatcheries. And technologies, you know, helping many other areas as well on the environmental side. It's helping us track invasive species. We have surveys that look for invasive species. We can partner with the Department of Ecology and Department of Natural Resources and all these agencies that care about invasive species and our critical endangered species as well to track their populations through the Puget Sound. Other technologies, we're obviously using GPS technology to better locate our farms. Just recently, we've embarked in using drones to get better imagery on our farms. Yeah, there's technology helping us in many different facets. Yeah, it sounds like quite a massive journey. Could you take us back to when you and your family embarked on this journey? How did it start? It wasn't too long ago that it kind of started with our on our regulatory side. With 10,000 acres of farms, there's a lot of permits that you have to apply for. And for years, we we're submitting hand-drawn maps for every single one of those. And so that's kind of where we started was how can we make that side more efficient? And that's when we started looking at GIS specifically. And we saw that there was so much more potential on our operations side as well. So that's when we started really looking into how to collect information more efficiently on operations side, as well as the regulatory side. 
You mentioned earlier that the system, the GIS system that you're using is actually breaking down silos among the various data sources and data sets. Could you talk more about that? Yeah. So each of our farmers operates kind of independently. They have their own crews and they work mostly independently of the other farmers. But we're one company that has the same goal of improving all of our farms. So GIS allows us to collect information on all of our different farms. We can see which ones are doing the best, allows us to compare farm to farm, and then we can examine in more detail why a certain farm is performing better than another farm and take what they're doing on one farm and use their techniques to improve another farm. Some of our farmers do certain maintenance jobs better and using GIS, you can actually quantify that value and push it to the other farms as well. That sounds great. Knowledge sharing and best practices sharing. Yeah, exactly. A powerful example of how we're using technology in the field is um, to help enable our employees to do a better job. We had one of our farm directors who's worked for us for 30 plus years. He was in a very serious car accident. It involved some memory loss issues where he can't remember all of the fine details on his farms. You know, it's it's crazy how much information our farmers store in their heads and uh, you don't really think about what happens when they don't have that ability to store every single piece of information in their heads any longer. But now he can have all that information in his pocket so he still has access at all times and he still has his great sense of farming and he can, you know, remember almost everything, but not to the level that he expects himself to remember at all times. So having that assurance that he can still access the exact date a, a crop was planted or the exact number of pounds came off of it in the last year um, really gives him the confidence to move forward and, and keep improving his farms and yeah, really just doing a great job and to continue working at a high level. I have to ask, do you have a favorite oyster type? Yes, let's see. Depends on the time of the year. I, I really love the Kumamoto oyster, but our Shigoku oyster, which is one of our specialty oysters, which is a tide tumbled Pacific oyster, is also very delicious. We, we say it's tide tumbled, so we put them in, in bags, and um, the bags are then on kind of suspended off the surface on a uh, posts and then a line and then we put a float on one side of the bag and then every time the tide comes in and out the bag floats up and down and so the oysters are always being rolled through this bag and that uh, breaks off their new shell growth and causes the shell to grow smooth and deep and then the meat inside will usually be fatter um, it's definitely one of our premium oysters. So it's the exact same species, but through different growing techniques, it's a completely different oyster. And how do you eat them straight up or with a yeah, little just, lemon? Just raw. <laughs> um, you know, I'll mix it up a little bit. If you have a whole plate, you can put a little bit of lemon on some of them, a little bit of mignonette sauce on some of them, but straight is definitely the best. The way to go. So. Give us some secrets of what to look for when you're eating oysters. So definitely a, a fat meat. So you want the meat to fill the whole shell. You want the shell to be hard. So you don't want the shell having being broken on the edges. 
something that's really important for us is how the oyster is shucked. So it's, it goes beyond just the oyster itself, but how it's presented. And we pride ourselves in our oyster bars for serving the perfectly shucked oyster. So that means there's no cuts in the meats. It hasn't been flipped over. So that's something that a lot of oyster bars will do is they'll, they'll flip the meat inside the shell. So it's no longer how it should be presented. It's upside down really. Um, and yeah, just, it should it should look like the top shell was just never there instead of something was pried off the top of it. Niall, it's been so enjoyable talking to you and learning about your company and your business. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Niall Taylor for helping us see how location technology advances digital transformation and enhances old world farming techniques to sustainably generate quality product. To learn more, download our ebook, Making Sense of Digital Transformation at esri.com forward slash where. To keep current with new interviews, visit our podcast page at esri.com forward slash podcast. 